Welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. I'm Pete Clark, your host, The Whispers Guy. It appears that work expands to the time that we give it, and I started to explore how I was investing my time and effort, particularly on Fridays. It's evolved to an explanation and experiment with time, energy, attention and identity, and a mindset shift from I have to to I choose to. So if you're interested in exploring some changes to the way that you invest your time and your energy, if you'd like some tips on the way as you make some changes perhaps to your identity, if you would like the freedom of I choose to, away from I have to, then this is the podcast for you. So welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. Welcome to this week's episode where it's a particularly poignant conversation this week. I'm, due to the pandemic, back in touch with an old, old buddy who I'm delighted to be back in touch with, who's got, I think, a fascinating uh, change story. And so before I say too much about that, let me introduce Dougie Samuel. Hey, Dougie. Good morning. Hi, Pete. Are you well? How are you, How are you doing this morning in uh, a fair bra bricht Edinburgh? I'm very good, thanks. It's actually sunny. <laughs> Everybody's smiling. It's it's sunny. It's that one day in the summer that smiles. The sun's in Edinburgh. This is our summer. We're going to get three consecutive days of sun, so everybody's got the shorts on and celebrate. That's it. Yeah, we're having a barbecue. Um, <laughs> Dougie, I start this every time when I interview someone with the same question. I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, that Freedom Fridays, the podcast, is all about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and they've made a big change. You know, they've kind of gone from I have to to I choose to. Can you share with the listeners what your have to to choose to is? Yeah, and first of all, can I say thanks for having me on the podcast? It's a, it's a pleasure and a real honour to actually have this conversation with you. Um, I guess the significant change for me was um, on the back of a heart attack three years ago, right. I had a time to reflect on my life up to that point, and I, and I recognised that I'd been working too hard and working too many hours. Um, hugely well-intentioned, all driven and born out and want to help others, but the, the cost had been, I hadn't been looking after myself. So although you'd drawn a diagram many years before that said, warm up, peak perform, warm down, and don't forget your QRT, um, mm-hmm. my QRT had disappeared by that point, and I was just totally consumed in two jobs. Um, so I decided that when I returned from um, my heart attack that I would reduce my working week to four days, and, and I no longer worked Mondays. And it was a deal I sort of came to with my wife, actually, to allow me to continue football coaching because something had to give. Because in simple terms, what I'd been doing up to that point had obviously resulted in me on an operating theatre getting two stents fitted. So <laughs> I had to change something. So that, that was the compromise um, and enabled me to continue with both jobs. And it's probably um, one of the best things I ever did. And, and it reminds me of my previous time when I worked in Standard Life where, again, I wanted to create some space and time in my life to try different things and actually went to compressed hours. Now, I went to compressed hours, but truthfully, I still worked a full working week because I think the reality is that we, we're always busy. There's always things to do. There will be yeah. things on your list. Um, and sometimes it's quite powerful just asking the question, well, what would happen if I didn't do that? Yeah. Wow. So you, you are living Freedom Fridays as Freedom Mondays. <laughs> yeah, Freedom Mondays. Absolutely. And I think I'm much more relaxed now and I'm, I'm more forgiving of myself if I didn't get through everything. 
that would be to try and achieve at the start of the day. I think that's the big thing is it trying to focus my emotional energy on what matters and what counts. And that includes myself, but also my family and my loved ones and, and not just my work. Yeah. I, I remember, I think I was um, nosing in on a conference decades ago. I can't remember who it was. And it was a facilitator or a trainer saying in front of a young group who were getting into new management positions. And they said, look, whenever you have a position, I think they said authority. So whether it's a parent, a leader, you know, coach or whatever, they said, you will never get everything done. <laughs> and it stuck with me, right? You know, yeah. 30 years later. Yeah, well, apparently wisdom. I mean, phenomenal and very, very true. And I think that, especially if you're a leader who is a servant leader and, and, and cares about others and wants to make sure that environment's right and is an environment that enables them to flourish, but all the time you're the safety net that takes accountability and takes the responsibility off their shoulders when they fall over. Yeah. Um, you never switch off, really. Mm. Dougie, can I ask you a couple of questions uh, about yeah, the heart attack? Um, yeah. The reason I'm going to ask you about it is because I often use that as an example. Um, you may remember... Uh, it was in the UK, actually, and I used this example years ago, billboard campaign up and down the M1, um, middle-aged man like us, bare chest with a belt tightened around yeah. the chest, saying that I think it was the stat 55% of heart attacks in men are the first sign they've got a problem. So the first sign, the first whisper is sudden death. Yep. <laughs> which is quite stark, and it was trying to fix and trying to nudge us to, you know, exercise, sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Prior to the heart attack, had you had any whispers? On reflection, no. I mean, I, I probably had the odd migraine. Um, right. I had the odd periods of reflection where I probably got a bit down on myself because I'd maybe put on a bit of weight and, 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 right. I, and I wasn't at the gym as much as I would have liked, but that stat is bang on for me, bang on for me. And, and what was actually quite revealing was that the number of people who, when I met them post heart attack, the first words they said were, you're the last person I expected to have a heart attack. You're always that right. Followed up with you're always on the go. And the clue was in the, in the second part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, their association with me was a guy who lived in the world of sport, therefore I'd be naturally yeah. healthy. Yeah. So once I was preaching all the things to my players and, and preaching all the things about QRT to my staff, um, I was the classic, not actually following it and living it myself. Yeah. And again, who's the well-intentioned, you know? So if I didn't have lunch one day, um, it was because I was trying to help somebody and I was trying to like, get to the next meeting because it was quite crucial that I was at the next meeting. So I was grabbing something that would give me a sugar rush that would get me through the next couple of hours. Yeah. Um, the irony about my heart attack as well is that it actually took part, sorry, it happened when I was taking part in a spin class. Um, so I'd actually, I'd recognised the need to make some time to start to go back to the gym and so on. And it was quite early in that process of going back to incorporating regular exercise into my week um, that it happened. Yeah, wow. And thankfully, it did, thankfully it did reveal itself. And I'm interested. So obviously you, you had the event, you're okay. Um, and I believe it's your third year anniversary, literally yep. this week. Um, yep, just on Friday. The conversation you had with your wife, how did uh -huh. that go? Well, that was difficult because she was on the bike next to me. So she quite... 
Sorry, I'm not laughing at you. I know, no, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, so she was quite literally in the spin class right next to me and watched her husband have a heart attack in front of her eyes. Wow. Um, Which is obviously traumatic for her as well. Um, And and as you would expect, like, you know, like, we we all deal with things in different ways. So I'm someone that wears my heart on my sleeve. Generally, I I like to talk about things. Um, My wife's a bit deeper than that. and, And... maybe isn't as comfortable speaking about our feelings as I am. So that's been an, an interesting conversation, an interesting journey, because um, my family didn't want to lose me. So, so the last thing they want to see is um, me falling back into maybe like my old ways and, and old habits. Mm. I think that there was a danger, actually, in, in, in the pandemic of me slipping back into that, because... Right. There were so many people in our community that needed help. Yeah. Um, I sort of threw myself into that. And, and I'm part of an amazing organisation. I'm very lucky to be part of an amazing team here at the Academy who, who in a privileged position that we have an opportunity to help people that are less fortunate than us in our local community. And for a spell last year, I was back working full-time again. So that, that day had been consumed and, and, and had gone. And I was back just going hammer and tong. And, and guess what happened? I started eating the, the muffins in the morning again and, and the yeah. chocolate bars, and I started to put on a little bit of weight again. So, you know, I think I've now got in my head, you know, I, I know what weight I was when I had the heart attack. So in practical terms, that's a, a metric that I can measure and, and I can keep an eye on, but it's, it's more the mental side, actually. It's, it's more yeah. just sure that I'm, I'm creating time for me just to, like, rest and chill and you know, do a crude form of meditation every now and then and just relax. What well, one of the maxims that I've uh, tried to at least listen to as a whisper for me and, and kind of live by is this in a relationship. And there's a reason I'm asking the question about your wife, which I'll come to in a second, is I'll look after me for you as long as you look after you for me. And so, you know, they're kind of, you know, Typically, the Western marriage vows means, you know, look after me in sickness and in health, which yeah. is, you know, nice, but it's a little bit dependent. And if, so if I get ill, it's your fault. You haven't looked after <laughs> me, which is, well, that's not what's meant by it. But yeah. I'm taking responsibility to look after me for the benefit of us. As long yeah. as you look after you for the benefit of us, that's a very interdependent relationship. So the reason I asked you about your wife was, with the people that I know have made these big changes, whether they've been forced to do it or they're choosing to do it, having that conversation with their significant other is a really tough conversation. And I'm interested in how it went because it, if it goes yeah. one way, you've kind of got a little bit of permission to do four yeah. days a week, as simple as that sounds, or not. I guess what worked in my favour was um, in my mid-30s, sort of late 30s, I'd had an equally sort of difficult conversation where about me leaving the corporate world. I had a good job right. in standard life. You know, we, we had a, a good quality of life. Mm. Um, and I'd been going on various different personal development courses and doing a bit more self-reflection around what my purpose was and what my values were. And, and, and I wanted to become an elite performance football coach and, and I wanted to work in the third sector. And I had a difficult conversation at leaving standard life and, and taking a leap of faith. You know, it's... It's called leap of faith, no leap of fear. And I think because we'd been through that together and she backed me then and, and that's led to like, you know, some amazing experiences on the back of taking that, that leap of faith. 
I think there's a trust there and that she, she trusts me. Um, but it doesn't mean to say it's not scary. And, and, and it's yeah. probably all the more scary for her because sadly, as a young girl, she lost her dad to a heart attack. Um, so, right? yeah, so I'm aware it's been really traumatic for her. And going back to your earlier point, you know, I, I wouldn't be here three years earlier, three years later, um, probably fitter and healthier than I've been for a long time if it wasn't for her having her support. Um, and in practical terms, knowing in the immediate aftermath, just making sure that I was putting myself first, but also just making sure I was eating healthier. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a an amazing learning experience, I have to say, an amazing learning. And I, and I know when you say putting myself first, you mean so I can then help others. <laughs> it's not a selfish, narcissistic. I'm going to look not after me. It's it's more doing it. So I can be of service to absolutely, other absolutely. Because if we don't take moments to fill our own well, then we go to empty our well to help others. There's nothing there. Yeah, and we we'll have to make time to fill our own well. And 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 I, I used to feel guilty about that. Whereas now, like say, you know, my routines change. So the start of my day is actually where I have created me time. So right. when I first up in the morning, that's when I'll do my bits of exercise, or I'll go a walk, or I'll listen to a podcast. Um, and then I can empty my well for the rest of the day. Right. But, 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 I've, but I've done something for me at the start of the day that's, that's prepared me. Um, so you're kind of paying it forward for yourself? Trying to. Trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good to anybody if I'm not here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's difficult because if you're a giver and if you're somebody who likes to help others, then... Yeah, we, there's various traits, isn't there? Like, so you struggle with like taking compliments. You struggle with like, say, yeah, uh, putting herself out for you when it's a thing that you you like to do yourself. So yeah. again, experience I've learned that that the same thrill and the same joy I get for giving and helping others, I'm, I'm depriving other people of that when I say no, I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> let them in, let them in, let them let them help you on your journey. Yeah, um, and and I guess in classic sort of like brainy. Benny Brown language, you know, allow yourself to be seen, to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm still very much living in the arena, but I'm, I'm trying to do that in, in a, a more self-aware way that means I'm better equipped to do even more when I'm in that arena. Yeah. And more value because, no, I'm pretty sure when you're tired and you're run down, you're a, you're a bit more crabbit. And although you think you're helping people, you're maybe helping people a wee bit of rawness and a wee bit of needs that they didn't need. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to try and make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm kind and generous and compassionate and I'm no somebody Well, that's... of that, there is no doubt, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. That's really nice of you. Thank you. Um, why Monday? Truthfully, because um, I've got a game on a Saturday, so my two jobs <laughs> get a bit of the um, chief executive of the um, charitable arm of the football club and I'm also the head coach of the men's first team. So I went for the Monday because it meant, you know, psychologically, I would still have a weekend because I'd have a Sunday and a Monday off. Ah, okay, and, cool. And in part also because my wife didn't work on Monday. So it meant that it was guaranteed a day where we could do whatever we wanted together yeah. and I'd be on hand to help and support and so on. So, yeah, yeah so, so that was why I went with the Monday. Cool. And that's a perfect example of, you know, Freedom Fridays is not about Fridays. It could be anything. It's about creating space to do other things. Yeah. So... But, what, what, what do you do with the space? Do you, do you invest it or do you spend it? Both, actually. Cool. Um, so I think, Lisa, that you know, in terms of ending it, I might, we might enjoy 
going to the pictures, we might enjoy something as grand as going to Wimbledon two weeks ago. Eliza, we might get to do something. Um, and I'm very, very lucky to be able to do things like that. But um, I also try and invest it in my ongoing development. So I'll, I'll listen to a podcast. I'll maybe like to watch a documentary. I'll try and do something that's about feeding my brain. Um, mm -hmm. That's I find hard to switch off. Is I love learning and I love like learning for others um, and just hearing about their stories and their journeys and how that might apply to me and just mm. give me a light bubble. When I remember watching a documentary with Billy Connolly and he was he was talking about Parkinson's disease and, and and he said something that felt like a slap in the face because it was the first thing I heard that I could resonate with in terms of like what it feels like to have had a heart attack and and then afterwards know that you've had a heart attack and every day wondering is is it going to be that day that you're going to have your next heart attack. Yeah. And, and, when he was talking about Parkinson's disease, he said it like it wasn't like the flu or the cold. Well, you know that's going to pass in four or five days. It's just there all the time. Yeah. And, and the short version, but the, that was the gist of it. And I thought, God, that's what it feels like mentally for me, is that in the early days, um, I couldn't sleep because I was frightened I wasn't going to wake up in the morning. So I used to, listen to podcasts in bed at night and, and yeah. literally have taught taught me to sleep. Now I know I understand the value, and obviously, like you know, the subconscious is still taking that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point of view, I was like, no, I'm not really, I'm not really listening to this podcast because I can't sleep. I'm listening to this podcast because I'm only alert. No, I was actually listening to the podcast because I needed somebody to talk me to sleep. Yeah. But self-voice and that conversation that we have with ourselves, you know, like, so that's a constant tension for me in terms of the voice of self-doubt versus the voice of self-belief. You know, that's yeah. tension that I, I, I'm fighting every day. One of the last books that I read about Billy Connolly, he made a really neat distinction. He said, you know, we're often asked, where are you from? Which is an easy question to answer. Yes. He yeah. thinks a better question is, what are you from? Ah, that's nice. That's so, nice. Dougie, yeah. what are you from? I'm from quite a traditional working class family um, in Leith. A, a mum and dad who um, adored me, who had me very young. I'm very young, um, but adored me and, and, and taught me key values like you know, hard work. And I guess the, the mantra my father brought me up with especially was like, never to look down on anybody, but don't let anybody look down on you. Um, so I've probably got a wee gritty side that comes from a working class background. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I come from quite a basic um, home. That people would probably describe others who didn't come from that type of environment would probably describe as being like a low-income family and poor but i never yeah. ever once felt poor i felt adored and i felt loved and my mom and dad are my heroes but i'm, I'm really proud to come to leith you know leith's um a port it's part edinburgh it's got a sense of identity it's um it's very much so like steeped in working class roots and working class values so i come from like very humble beginnings and i hope i've, I've remained humble Oh, well, I think there's no doubt about that, my friend. Thank you. Um, one of the things I'm interested in just chatting about is, is the role that you have. Maybe just take 30 seconds to explain what the role is. Uh, and then what I'm interested in, in, in that role, you obviously are served with looking after coaching some young footballers. Uh, and I'll, I still play over 45 soccer. And a lot of my friends are now coaching kids and you know, youth teams, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting when you go from playing a sport, mm -hmm. a game, a thing, to you're in the same arena, but you're actually now charged with the development of others. So maybe yeah. you can just tell us a little bit about the role 
and then tell us what's that like when you're now in in service of developing growing others and especially given you know it's not just about skill i'll be interested in your take on that it's i think because i've always been fascinated um fascinated about how we learn and how others learn and this phrase that one of my friends peter hill introduced me to called maps of the world how we're all a product to our environment and how we see things differently i mean certainly the joy for me as a player was feeling that sense of belonging and that sense of togetherness with friends in a dressing room and achieving something as part of a team. Um, so I guess that's one of the big drivers for me is that how do I create an environment that enables our players to feel safe and comfortable and willing to sacrifice themselves for others. Um, Phil Jackson has a lovely phrase, sacrifice the me for the we, mm -hmm. um, that from Sacred Hoops. And it was probably reading his book that I first really thought about the importance of love and compassion in a dressing room. Um, yeah. The development of others for me is very much focused around that and, and, and having the courage to role model that as a man in a very alpha male environment, I think is probably the biggest challenge I've faced, but the one that I hope I've been able to overcome. Um, because sport and dressing rooms traditionally over the years have been like quite um, aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, certainly when I played. And, and I just felt that like, so there was a, a different way to coach. And, and listen, I'm as capable as the next guy, like losing my rag, as my mum would say, and having a wee blow. But generally speaking, I'm trying to create an environment that enables people to feel safe enough to step forward and ask questions and to learn for each other and to give to each other and to go on a journey with each other that enables us to deliver something where the sum of the parts is greater than the sum of the individual parts. So yeah. it's, how, how do you... How do you define that? How do you define that special chemistry that can be created when essentially you're trying to create that flow state across a group of people where in a moment, nothing else exists in their world except being a part of something together and trying to help each other become the best version of themselves. That's yeah. a special place to be. And, it, and it, listen, it doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, it's an incredible feeling. It's a magic feeling. Mm -hmm. um, the difference as a player, I think, and a coach is, for me anyway, personally, is that on the on the heart when it was the highs and with the successful days, you know, like you said, all night after the game, like you know, you you'd be recounting the things that happened in the game and you'd be buzzing with your with your teammates and so on. Whereas I think the thrill for me sort of comes after after the event now as a coach. It's more the next day or in the subsequent days where you think back to all the effort and all, and all the application that's gone into getting to to that point. Um, it's very different, but I think at the core for me, certainly as an individual, it's still, it's still very much about that, that sense of belonging and, and trying to create that environment where people are willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. And, and mm -hmm. I think the truest forum, we're, we're wired to give. You know, I think it's in our natural DNA that, to look out for each other and to care for each other. So I'm just trying to like, you know, encourage guys to like strip it right back. And, and in some ways just, be naked in that dressing room and just be true to themselves and just be themselves. Which, which, from my memory of you know youth football in Edinburgh, is is not the easiest task. <laughs> no, but I think like so that where coaches now are like are, are very lucky compared to when you and I were young and playing youth football is that look at the resources and 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 the the materials that are available to coaches now for them to educate themselves. You know whether it's like. Wex work around growth mindset or 
Brenny Brown, we're talking about earlier on. Can you imagine football to- coaches talking about Brenny Brown 30 years ago? Yeah. When were- <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's amazing that I think there's now recognition that actually it's about how do we create better people in the first place and then we'll follow by better sportsmen and women. Mm. And, and Dougie, how does that translate into the other aspect of your role where you're, can you explain what the academy is? Yeah, of course. Um, so the academy is a charitable army, Spartans Football Club. Um, it's a registered charity, but it also is a social enterprise. So we, in simple terms, run and manage a £4 million sports facility, which is also the home to the football club. The charity has specific social aims and objectives um, where we're trying to, in simple terms, um, make a difference in our wee patch of the world. So our wee patch of the world is North Edinburgh. How can we improve the quality of people's lives in North Edinburgh? So as a football club, taking a step back and thinking about what are the historical social needs and issues in this community, where we are based. So how can you take that community of interest, which is everybody who's attached with and associated with a football club, and make a meaningful difference in, in the place where you live, so that community of place. And it's trying to bring those two things together. And in terms of like tackling social needs and issues, we are focused around trying to make a difference in education, in youth work, in physical health and well-being. And we also want to be a, an active player, an active partner in community cohesion or you know, like you say, trying to build social capital in our local communities so that we can, as I said earlier on, like you say, yeah, a community that can be proud of itself, proud of its achievements and, and can produce good human beings who can go on and make a, a meaningful difference. That, that's what yeah. we're trying to create. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm. There's like challenges in, in, in this community, but there's also a lot of really good people in this community. And it's important to talk up the community. And, and the, the Dougie that turns up in the dressing room at, you know, 10 to 3 on a Saturday afternoon versus the Dougie that turns up at home with his wife and kids versus the Dougie that turns up you know, in a, in a youth hall in North Edinburgh with, you know, four Achilles. Same, different, different hats, same person? Absolutely same person. I think that um, one of the joys of my life is that I've been able to meet people like yourself and, and, and who've asked me great questions and challenged me to go inside and think about what are my values. So it's not like I put on a blue coat on a Saturday when I'm a football coach and I put on a red coat on a Monday when I'm the chief executive of the academy. Yeah. Um, my, my values are consistent. So, so the way I'm going to deliver, the way I'm going to execute is going to come from a, a place of um, love and compassion, I think, and, and kindness and caring for others. You know, that doesn't change that, you know, in terms of whatever the setting might be. I hope I'm consistent and I'm authentic. Mm. Um, there's a clear alignment there in terms of my values in each of those different settings and having the confidence just to be just to be me you know, I, I can't encourage other people just to be true to themselves and to be themselves and then live my life as a fraud and if and if that means that some people maybe like say don't want me or don't maybe like um agree with me, that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine you know you use a phrase many years ago like you say which stuck with me which was what a fascinating map of the world that person had um, <laughs> That's, you know, it's what a fascinating take they have on things. And it's a nice way of letting things go and not, and not letting things like, you know, like you say, bog you down, you know. Yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very much the same person, I think. I think the older you get as well, I think you, you recognise how important it is to be true to yourself, actually. Mm. But it does require some work in looking inside to understand who yourself is. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and understanding what's the intention. Like, I think, you know, what, what's the intention behind my actions? I think it's a, right. a key thing for us to think about, like, in, in any conversation we have and any action that we take, what, what is ultimately the intention behind that? Why are we, why are we choosing to do that and, and, and thinking about that? Um, and thinking about the outcome that we want and is that the outcome that is best for everybody um, or is it just something that's going to make me feel good or make me look good um, what it's about it's about as I say trying to help others be and become the best version of themselves and, and if you're in a position where you can play a small part in that then then how lucky are you you know yeah. I, I have a job where, yeah. I, where I, I get a chance to help people so yeah. in, in the work I do Dougie um, as you know I get asked a lot about values um, personal yep. and corporate um, you're obviously someone that has done work on that yep. uh, I'm interested if you could share uh, how often and how do you review them and over the years how or which ones have changed well, that's a great question um, so we will and, and, and let's start with the easy one the easy one is I guess the corporate one you know every business will have annual away days, will they review things like their strategic plans and their missions and their purposes and everything else, and everybody will get invited to have a think about, is that still relevant and so on? And that's right, that's appropriate. Um, in terms of like my personal ones, um, I probably become more aware of the importance of being in this job, especially in the last 10 years, of being non-judgmental and, and trying to work that wee bit harder at understanding what are my blind spots. Because um, I'm a product of my environment, I'm, mm. I'm a middle-aged male, um, and you no, know, I can speak about inclusion, I can speak about equality, and all these things, and I can speak about them for you no, know, for a place of authenticity, and that I'm you not. Know, these are things that I, that I want to see. Um, but I've not got lived experience of being a you know, someone living in the minority, or, yeah. or someone who's actually like being held back and held down because of their race yeah. or whatever. so. You know, I've got to work, I've got to you know, double up on that to, to, to really listen, to try and understand, but, but never ever say I know or because or, or, I don't, and, and, and I truly will. But So I think being non-judgmental, I think, is, is something that's become um, a bigger priority for me and something that's been, become more important and probably wasn't something that if you'd asked me a question about my values in my 30s that I would have consciously said. I, I would have hoped that I would have been that type of person, but... I don't think I would have consciously like really measure myself against that. And things like fairness and hard work, they've always been there. Yeah. They've always been there. Um, but I think things like honor and uniqueness in others and being non-judgmental, those are things that are relatively new in, in the context of my own personal journey. And those are things that I hold dear in terms of like the lens through which I want the academy and the football club to see the world and how it lives and breathes with its community. Mm. Um, Dougie, if you, given the change you've made, you know, Freedom Mondays, if you were giving somebody a piece of advice because they were considering a big change, you know, whether it's a, a Monday off or a Friday off or, you know, whatever it was, you know, significant, it was them moving from, oh, God, I've got to do this versus I have, I can choose to do this in the spirit of that. What, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give them in hindsight based on your experience? It's, it's a little bit like um, 
I'm a visual learner and a kinesthetic learner. So I, I attach things to images mm -hmm. um, or and emotions. If, if you're willing to walk forward with your, with, your, with your eyes wide open and looking forward, everything's going to be okay because you're going to attract like-minded people. You're going to spot the opportunities. Um, if you take the plunge, but you don't quite cut the umbilical cord, so you're walking forward, but you're actually walking backwards because you keep talking about things you did in the past or you keep longing to go back there, then you're not ready. You're not ready. Um, the big thing would be for me is that what I learned was through this experience was that the opportunities that came my way once I created the space um, seemed to multiply. And when I asked one or two people the question, like, why didn't you think to ask me before? Or that's interesting you're asking me now because actually, would you believe it? I've actually got time to actually help you with that now. Yeah. Again, what came back was, well, I was desperate to ask you, but I could see how busy you were. And I didn't know what to like, bother you. I was like, but I would have loved to have helped you with that. In fact, <laughs> I was offended that you didn't ask me because well, I'm your friend and I, and, and I think I could have helped you with that. Yeah, but I could see you're already spinning lots of plates. So again, it's just you know, having faith that to, to listen to and to trust your gut and, and to have the confidence um, to be true to yourself. I mean, it's really interesting for me that probably the most significant things that have happened in my life and been the life-changing things that have led me to the riches have been on the back of sort of like being rejected or the back of disappointment. Um, Interesting. I, I ended up at Spartans because my former club, Whitehall Welfare, didn't 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 want to keep me. They, they thought I was I was I was washed up. They thought at thirty four, my legs had gone. Um, I'd been there eight years. I'd been captain there. I loved the club. Um, same time, Spartans were desperate for me to come and play for them. Mm. They still valued me, um, and they made me feel wanted, and, and they made it easy to actually like leave. Um, although at the time it wasn't, they made it easy through their approach and, 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 and their dreams and their aspirations. But ultimately it happened because somebody else didn't want me. Isn't that interesting? And for, for those obviously that are listening and wouldn't know, Whitehill Welfare as an amateur football club in those days, that was a big deal, right? It was Spartan's biggest rival. It was a massive, you know, for those yeah. of us who played football... Yeah. In Scotland, yes. in Edinburgh, in amateur football, that's almost as good as it gets. Yep. It and they're saying, Dougie, you're not good enough. Out you go. Sling your hook, mate. Yeah, but it's fascinating because the same thing happened in, in when I worked in Standard Life that a senior manager effectively did, you know, decided she didn't want me on our management team. Um, and, and I became up for grabs. You know, like the other senior managers could effectively like pitch for me and, and, and say, I, I'd like him on my team. Um, but the harsh reality was that, that that process only started because she had the courage to say he doesn't fit in and, and, and it's, I didn't want him on my management team. Yeah. And up at that point in my career, nobody had given me that type of feedback and, I, and I'd, never, I'd never been rejected. And then an incredible thing happened. Um, one of the first bad advances came out of the shadows for me. A, a guy called Phil Jacobs um, walked up to my desk and, and said to me that he'd heard what had happened. Um, for what it's worth, he says, I don't agree with what's happened. Um, I'd love you to come work for me one day. He says, but only if you choose the E over the I. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's a word in the English dictionary. He says, if you change one letter in that word, it's going to determine what direction you're going to go. And he wrote on a piece of paper, B space T-T-E-R. He says, so what are you going to put in the space? Are you going to put an I or an E? If you choose the E, come and work for me. And I thought, wow. I didn't even know the guy. I knew who he was, but I never worked, I never worked with him. 
Um, and no, the rest, as I say, is history. I went to work in HR, which then led to me meeting you um, three, four months later. And you won't remember it, but the, but the lady who'd actually rejected me, um, you, <laughs> you invited us to change the meaning when it came to block and breaking the blocky wood. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember me whispering in your ear, um, I've put her face on the blocky wood, Pete. I, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I had, I had to let it go because I was still being defined by her opinion of me and not my own opinion of myself. Yeah. And, and opinion of me. So, and that allowed me to move forward and then, yeah, led me to like some fantastic experiences. So it's amazing how like what can feel like the most difficult, most challenging, stressful time at the time can actually be the, the biggest learning opportunity and can, and can lead you down a different path that, I guess in some ways I say to people, this job I'm doing now, like standard life prepared me for it in every way. But this was my day. And, and I hear that story many times. And there, you know, there's many books behind me on, on those very things about the most beautiful flowers grow in adversity. Yeah. Do you think it would have been the turning point? And this is speculation, right? Do you think it would have been the turning point had you known? <laughs> Probably not, actually. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? That it's kind of yeah. like, the, yeah. the gift is we don't know. Yeah, and the gift, I think, and sometimes I think we crave for, no, we, we crave for a model. We crave for join the dots. We crave for, like, you know, someone to show us sometimes when actually the real joy is in, in discovering yourself mm. and discovering, like, who you are and what you're capable of and, and, and facing those demons and facing those fears. I remember... Um, after I'd been on Mastering Your Motivation with yourself, um, several months later, and you'd, I think, the Speakers International had now moved on, but people had got wind of the course and everybody was talking about it and it had been so well received. And somebody had suggested, oh, you should, you, should, you should do a workshop on that. You should come and speak at the next conference on that. And I remember taking the call, and I I'd still remember it to this day. And, and no, I could hear my voice saying, like, saying oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. And, but the words that came out were, yeah, I'll do that for you. <laughs> and I thought, bloody hell what am I doing um, so that's stepping out your comfort zone and pushing yourself and for me it's about learning for other people and, and, and applying it to your to your situation to, to your your life you know like you say it's, it's not about like just picking something up and saying okay I'm just going to apply that it's actually how, how do you apply that in the context of your life and, and what your aspirations are that's that's why you have such creative swiping in this industry because most of this stuff's been been here for centuries, as you oh, know. Yeah. Um, it just gets rebranded, reframed, but it gets rebranded and reframed because somebody else has, has come up with some, an original way defining it for them that's worked for them, that's led to success for them or led to success yeah. by a group of people they've been a part of. So they then go and recycle that. But in essence, it's the same things that people were saying hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So why so, do we complicate it? A couple <laughs> of final questions for me, Dougie. Um, I love that little turn of phrase. And, and like we say, you, you didn't know he was going to come into your life, but just the E or the I, bitter or better. Yeah. I love that. Very, very good. Um, what's now been better for you? I think the perfectionist, Dougie, um, mm -hmm. is airtime. He gets less airtime. Right. Uh, he, that, that fear of failure and... The perfectionist in me like made it tough sometimes if i'm honest mm. um whereas now i can and this is probably one of my biggest learns for tuesdays with maury actually <laughs> one of our favorites 
one of our favourites, absolute favourite, mate. Um, but the importance of being able to forgive yourself. Yeah. You no, know, I, I think I, I can do that much better now. I can do that much better now. I think I look for and listen to the listen for the signs a bit more now, where I need to just slow down, just need to create maybe a bit of time just to to reflect and just do a bit of thinking because I think it's such a skill being able to identify when you need to think about what you need to think about because we go so fast and, and we run so fast because we're always trying to get somewhere or do something. Mm. You know, I say to people, but you need to think about what you need to think about. The face screws up because they think, what? what, what? You yeah. say, yeah, why? <laughs> that's why. Um, and again, you know, that's not something that I would have proactively done in my 20s and 30s. No, but, but I'm much better at that now in terms of like creating that sense of, well, I've got my hands on the wheel here because I'm choosing to invest my time in this. Yeah. Um, so ultimately I'm, I'm deciding where the car's going. Um, and, and it's just that alignment thing again, I said earlier on. So for me, like, you know, when I'm thinking of like keywords, it's sort of shaping and form everything. It's things like consistency, authenticity, alignment, you know, and, and ultimately just, yeah, just trying to be you, just, Try and be a good person. Um, you, I know you're into podcasts. I don't know if you listen to Andrew Huberman. No, not yet. Uh, but he's, he's a neuroscientist called the Huberman Lab. And he was interviewed by Tim Ferriss. Uh, you know, Ferriss is a, a great podcaster. And so Huberman was asked a little bit like Tom, Tim Ferriss has, has answered many times, if you could give people one piece of advice based on all of your knowledge of neuroscience and all the sort of exercise mental cognitive skills and things that you know about what's the one piece of advice uh, and like anyone who knows a lot of that stuff they do reflect it takes a bit of time because there's so many things they could share with us and he said look i can't i can't walk past something that apparently was written in the oracle at you know the adelphi you know centuries and centuries ago which is very simply but not easy to know thyself that's the greatest piece of advice to get to, to know thyself, which is staggeringly simple, but yes. staggeringly complex at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I gave a player, I gave a player feedback on Saturday after the match, which we lost one nil. Um, and it was probably a little bit harsh actually on reflection. And, and I explained to him the next day in day that what was really going on was, was my subconscious was, was frustrated. And I had interference because it feels like just now our ability to prepare to the best of our ability has been sabotaged by COVID because mm. having to self-isolate and so on and so forth. Mm. But also, we spoke about actually off air earlier on, which is it's so, so important just now more than ever that I respect that football is just a part of our players' lives. And, and it's a part of the life that should bring joy and should be fun. So it shouldn't be stressful asking for a weekend off or a holiday off. Mm. And consequences that it creates an atmosphere or it's like an issue because now more than ever we need to be spending time um investing time to use your word in qrt yeah and, and for the listener qrt stands for sorry quality recovery time there you go mate. <laughs> um Dougie, couple of last questions what don't you know about yourself How far I can take myself out of my comfort zone. Okay. Is there like still, I, yeah, I think there's still a bit of capacity there. I'm still, um, false expectations appearing real sometimes get the better of me. Yeah. And then, final formal question 
what's something you know about yourself that you love? <laughs> you know, we're not very comfortable speaking about ourselves. Um, what do I love about I myself? <laughs> I'm... I think I'm, I don't think I know. Um, I generally care about others and I'm compassionate. And I think that married to that, going back to probably where we started in terms of my dad's mantra, yeah. I do become humble and I, and, I, and I never look down on anybody. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I hope that never changes. Yeah. And look, a bit of banter here. Those that don't know, Dougie isn't the tallest person in the world. So for, for to say that it, it's not just literal it's it's obviously <laughs> which i found interesting you know because you're not the biggest guy and yet no. you can walk into a changing room of guys that are significantly physically larger than you but still hold court yep that's fine i'm not intimidated by that mm. intimidated mm. by that i think that it's probably um well, the confidence will come from knowing that I've done my prep and I know my subject and yeah. I know that I'm, I'm, what I believe in what I'm saying. And again, I go back to one of my key words, so I'm authentic. Yeah. And they, they can choose to get on the bus with me or they can choose to get off the bus. That's fine. Yeah, um, they know what they're getting. Yeah, and if I'm being true to me, then I accept it in life that not, not everybody's going to like connect um, on a deep level and that's fine. But the greatest joy in the dressing room for me and why I'm still there is that I still feel a connection with the players. I mean, I didn't feel that connection in terms of me being able to play a small part in their journey and helping them to become better people, then that'll be the time for me to go. And that's the thing that drives me more than the result on the Saturday. Yeah. Dougie, I've got five quick questions for you. You don't know what these are, so we're looking for your quickest response. Oh, gosh. Dougie Samuel scores the winning goal in the Scottish Cup final or Spartans win the Scottish Cup final? Spartans win the Scottish Cup final. <laughs> Kenny Dalgleish or Ali McCoist? Dalgleish. You're taking a penalty. Bottom left or bottom right? Bottom left. A book that's changed your life? Without question, chooses with Maury. An old man, a young man, and life's greatest lessons. My yeah. favourite of all time. Your favourite Scottish word? Barry. <laughs> and for the listeners, explain what Barry means. Um, that something's magic. It's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Couldn't it be better? Yeah, I, I just be had a, a moment where I thought, I knew exactly what you meant, but I thought I'd better <laughs> explain it for probably yeah, absolutely. 99% of people that are listening yeah. that don't know what Barry is. Absolutely. absolutely. So today, the sun's out. I get to engage with a good friend. Life is Barry. Yeah, well, look, Dougie, what a great way to finish. Um, I just want to thank you for your time, your authenticity, some of the insights that I think you've shared will be very helpful for people. For me, it's been a Barry conversation. Thanks, mate. I'm so glad you're back in my life, honestly. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Cool. Thanks, Dougie. Take care. Thanks, Pete.